You know, when I was reading this and you see this story, and what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first. It's talking about just have some common sense. And it says you're going to send an ambassador there to make sure if you can't win that you're going to have some peace with them. But you know, when I was thinking about some of the wars that the United States has been through and, and what we are in Veterans Day, many people have given their lives for us. Um, I've, I've been watching a couple things and some things I find very interesting. Um, I watched a, a, a show about how they used dogs in World War II and how dogs could spot out people and they would show them and they were, they were showing how they trained the Doberman Pinschers and the German Shepherds. I thought it was very interesting that they trained German Shepherds in World War II. And so here they're looking and they're seeing what they're doing. But then there was another story I read. How many of you ever heard of the Ghost Army? Raise your hand if you've heard about the Ghost Army. In World War II, they took a thousand men and made a fake army. The Ghost Army consisted of three different areas. The first one was a, a, a radio technicians. And then the second aspect of it was sound. They, made, they had someone that would, would have these big trucks and they'd have this sound on the back of them and it would make sounds. And I'll explain what they did. And the third one was fake um, tanks and, and aircraft artillery stations that they would do. And what they would do is they'd get these guys to start talking on the radio and people would intercept what they're saying and would talk about this, this, this battalion that the Germans would listen to and they would think, man, there's a bunch of people over there. Then they would play that sound and the sound that they would play are tanks rolling and some people talking and all this other stuff. And they would hear it from a distance and they, could, they, they would put two and two together. But the most amazing thing that I saw, thought they did, and, and, and it's funny how, how Americans come to, sometimes are very ingenuitive. And they would take these things and they, would, they, they were making these fake tanks. And they figured out that they could make them out of rubber. And they were actually what we would call inflatables. And so from the air, they would look like when they drove over, they would see all these tanks sitting there and coming in to, to besiege something. And the Germans would back off and, and they would send their airplanes over. And they even took it a step further where they would take bulldozers and run bulldozers everywhere and set the tanks at the very end where the bulldozers were. So it would create a, a, a fact that where the ground was, it was torn up from where these tanks were. The story goes that they went in and they would go in and they would start talking to the people and the people would listen to about, about these groups and they started making their own insignias on their shirts so people would think, hey, this is true. In fact, one time two Frenchmen walked up when these Americans were moving these tanks and it showed that you could take these tanks and two guys could take them and flip them over. Well, two Frenchmen walked up and four Americans grabbed one, one of them grabbed on each corner of the tank and picked it up and moved it. And it was amazing to the Frenchman that they could do that. One of the guys didn't want to lose what they were doing, so they just told the Frenchman, he goes, uh, we Americans, we are very strong. And that was good enough to suffice what they'd done. If you want to do some research on it, it is very interesting what they would do. And basically what these men, you say, well, that's not a dangerous position. Yes, it was. What they were doing is they were making the Germans fire on their location. They only lost, there was only one time when they lost some people. But they would instantly do these things, they would deflate them, and they would move them. And it was so, so under, under tow that they couldn't tell anybody. It was restricted to tell anybody for 40 years what they did. 
Can you imagine going home and knowing that you saved millions of lives and you couldn't tell them what you did? And you couldn't tell your wife, you're not going to believe this, but we had, and they even said they had portable things that they would blow them up. Sometimes they had bicycle pumps they'd have to pump them up. Sometimes they said they had to blow them up. And sometimes they, they, would, they would look out in the middle of the night and they would start deflating. And the end of the tank would start sagging. And they said if the Germans saw that, they would know it wasn't real. And so these guys would sit out there and they would actually get gunfire from this. And what they were doing is they were telling, and if you read the story, it's interesting. So many times the Germans could have came right up the middle and separated the United States, but there was this fake ghost army that was doing this. They would hear the sound. They would see them. They would hear the radio chatter between the two. And, they, and it was interesting, some of the people that were in this were artists and people that could paint, and they would paint everything. And they showed this one building in the show that I watched that they covered the top of it where it looked like the desert, and it was actually where they held, held all their airplanes. It was just very interesting. And isn't it great what Americans can do? You know, I was thinking about, I went to a funeral this week of, of a lady that's 96 year, was 96 years old, Kathy Robinson's mother. And I was, as, I was, as I was looking at that, I was thinking, how many things she has seen change in her lifetime. Have you re do you realize how many things the Amer America has created that the whole world uses? It is amazing. I mean, computers, is this, just say one. The automobile industry, aircraft. I mean, you just think of everything that the Americans made. We live in a great country, and God has blessed our nation. And so I want you to look at this, and, and I want you to see some things. I want you, can, I, can I ask you this question? Can we make a difference? Can one person make a difference? Because when you look at Luke chapter 14, 31 and 32, it's logical, right? But let me tell you this with this. My God is not a God that has given up on miracles. He can still do miracles. He gives man logic, and we're a logical people. You know, you think of the story of Peter walking on the water. That's not logical that he could walk on the water. But it was attainable with Jesus with him, amen? Now, Mark Gardner's not in here, so you have to say amen to me, and I'm going to keep going until people say amen. Amen? All right. So you, I want to make sure you're in this. I want to show you a story that's a very interesting story that's not logical, and it has to do with the battle. I want you to turn back to Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7. And I want you to think this through. You know the story when you get to it. You'll know what it is. Judges chapter 7. This is a story... And, and I would say um, Bernard probably knows more about this story than anybody because this is a story about Gideon, amen? I said this before, this is not a story about orange little Bibles, it's about a man that was a, that was a judge in the book of Judges. And so here, they've taken on his name, the Gideons, internationally, they, they refer back to him. But it's interesting when you study him. So here, let's look at this, and it, it says in verse number 7, who is Gideon? verse number one, and it's talking about who he is and where he is, and I want you to follow along in it, and it says in verse number two, it says, and the Lord said unto Gideon, the people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, mine own hand hath saved me. He has 32,000 men with him, and go back to that verse I said, the kings, if they're going to go to war, they better figure out if they can win. How many guys in here have ever been in a fight? Raise your hand. What do you do? You size up the guy you're fighting. Think, can I take him? And there's been times where you go, okay, I better talk my way out of this one. 
You know, and here he has 32,000 men and God tells him, we're going to make it a little bit smaller. Go to this and it says, Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. It says, And there return to the people twenty and two thousand, and there remain ten thousand. Now, if I was Gideon, I'd have been calling a special meeting and bringing them back. And saying, maybe you didn't understand what I said. If you're scared and afraid, go home. If you're not, stay here. Out of 32,000 people, 22,000 left. You say, well, that's probably good for, good for Gideon. It probably scared him to death. Then, he says it's too many. Story goes and keeps saying, it says, And the Lord said unto Gideon, in verse number four, The people are yet too many. Now, he's already went, and I figured this out mathematically. I don't know if you're a math person, but from 32,000 to 10,000, he only retained 31%, 31.25% of the people that were there. His army has dwindled down over almost 70%. And so God says, listen, this is what I want you to do. He says, I want you to take them down to the water and I want you to have them drink and you're going to separate the two types of people. You're going to separate the two types of people. And so when he goes down there, if I was Gideon, what I would do is be going, thank, thank the Lord we only lost 300. Because 9,700 of them drank water a certain way and 300 of them drank water a different way. And God says, I want you to keep the 300. Now, it, when, when I was doing this mathematically, too, if you, if you start with 32,000 and you get down to 300, you know what percentage of people he kept? Point, this is less than 1% of the people. 0.9375 is all he kept. Now, when I read this, it's interesting because it says in verse number five, he says, so he brought down the people into the water and the Lord said unto Gideon, everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself, likewise every one that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were 300 men, but all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. Now, I want to use this as an illustration to you. Let's pretend that this is a lake, and it starts right here. And you walk up on the lake, and God, and God tells you to drink of the water. How many of you are going, and we're going to take a survey in here because I want to show you something really quick. How many of you would, would go like this and pull the water up and drink? Or how many of you would do this? Think about that. If you were to get some water, would you go like this? Or would you go like this? How many of you would go like this? Raise your hand. Look, raise your hand real high. All right, look at the majority of the people. Majority of the people would do that. I would never, I'm sorry, I just wouldn't go like this, all right? And I've heard preachers say, well, he, they did this and he, they kept them. Do you know why some preachers will say that? So that they could look around and see where the enemy is. But let's just face it, this is how we normally would drink water. All of you, I want to see how many of you would go put your head in the water. Raise your hand real quick. All right, all right. There's only one that's brave enough to say it. You raised your hand for the other one too, didn't you? You'd put your head in the water. Okay, <laughs> Didn't mean to insult you. All right, here we go. So he would put his head in the water and just, that to me just seems illogical. I wouldn't do that. Brandon would do it. Amen. Praise God for that. But everybody's different. I would bring the water up to myself. 
But out of 10,000 people, 9,700 of them put their head in the water. 300 of them brought their water, the water back up to them. And, and I know what, what Gideon's thinking. Good, I get 9,700. He's like, no, you don't get the 9,700. You get the 300. Why do you get the 300? Because I want people to understand that this is not you that's doing it, it's me that's doing it. So then he gets in there and the, and the battle kick, kicks in. And, and as you look at it, um, go, to, go to Judges chapter 7, verse 4. It talks about there's too many people. Judges chapter 7, 5 through 7. By the 300 men will I save you. Look at verse number 7. By the 300 men that lapped will I save you. Now I'm going to ask you a couple questions with this, and I'm going to ask you three questions that will be done. Number one, when people see you, what do they see? When God asks you to do something, what do you do? And what kind of person is God using when He uses you? You know, when I was studying this, it's interesting because the army that he's, he's fighting against, let's look at this. Go to verse number 12 in Judges chapter 7. It says, And the Midianites and the Milikites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. Now watch this. And their, and their camels were without numbers as the sand of the sea by the sea for multitude. So when you looked out, you saw all these camels. And you've got to understand, every time you see a camel, there's a person associated with that camel. They were too big to count. The problem with these two, two armies is they were nomads. They weren't very organized. But they were there, and, there's, and you're, you're looking, you've got 300 men against two armies that you're going to fight against. There's no way you can win. Go back to what I said with Luke. The king would say, let's go send an ambassador out and get this taken care of. But that's not what God does. So when I ask you this question... When people see you, what do they see? Judges chapter 7, verses 16 through 21 tells the story of what happens. Basically, they take three things with them. They take a pitcher. They take a candle and a pitcher. And what else do they take? A trumpet. Now, I don't know if all these 300 were trumpeteers, but they better learn how to play the trumpet pretty quick. And all Gideon tells them is, do what I do and do exactly what I do and everything's going to be okay. And what I find interesting also is here is what, they, what he says, what he, what he yells. Look what he yells. I think it's on, in verse number 18, it says, at the very end it says, and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. What's, what's interesting about that is these nomads had taken all the swords from these guys. They had no swords. They didn't have anything. They, they, these guys were their enemies. They took everything away from them. So they're yelling and the swords of, of, of the Lord and of Gideon. He doesn't even have a sword. So what he does is he waits to the changing of this guard. People are sleeping. Some people are up. And he says, do exactly what I do. And all Gideon does is he breaks open his pitcher and the candle's lit. And he blows the trumpet and yells that statement. And then 300 guys, he breaks them up into three different divisions. They do the same thing. The guys wake up, they don't know where they're at, and they start taking the swords that they have and they start killing each other out of mass array because they don't know what's going on. But what they're doing is they're looking around and they're seeing 300 lights up and they think each one of them is an army coming at them. And so they each take, take their life. Now, if you, were, if you were Gideon, can you imagine this scene unfolding in front of him? All it takes is for one to break the line and it's over. 
And this guy gets up there and he breaks it. He blows the trumpet for, and for, the, Lord, for the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And, and they wipe these people out. Go back to that question I ask you. When people see you, what do they see? These guys went to war with a trumpet, with a pitcher, and with a candle, a lantern. Here's somebody standing when no one else will stand. Let me ask you this question. When God, God asks you to do something, what do you do? Go to Judges chapter 7, verse 9 through, 9 through 12. It's interesting when you study this, it says in verse number nine, it says, it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, arise, get thee down unto thy host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. Now watch the question that God asked him. But if thou fear to go down, go thou with Furrah, thy servant, down to the host. Now look at verse number 11. And thou shalt hear what they say, and afterwards shall thine hand be strengthened to go down with the host. Then went he down unto Furrah. He was scared to death. Before this battle, God gets these 300 men. See, if you read this in, 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 in structure, you, he gets down to 300 men. Then this story happens. Then the battle happens. He goes down and he hears two men talking. And those two men have a dream and they say, surely Gideon's going to win this. And he goes up and God encourages him. When God asks you to do something, you better do it. We've got to see that when God asks us to do something, we better do it. Go to verse number 10 and 11. As you look at it, in verse number 11, it says, And thou shalt hear what they say, and afterwards shalt thine hand be strengthened to go down unto the host. Here's the story with this. What do people say when they see you? They looked and he saw, he saw these camels. He had no idea how he was going to win. When God asks you to do something, what do you do? He did exactly, what, and God knew he needed encouragement. And he went down there, and I can tell you, as, as you look at this, when he blew his horn and, and he broke that pitcher, he had confidence that God was going to take care of it. Now, what does God see when he sees you? Because you could study out Gideon, and everybody talks about how brave he was, but was he really? Let's look at the story of where he starts. The last question is this, what kind of person is God using when he uses you? Go to Judges chapter 6, go to the chapter in front of it. In verse number 36 through 40, this is me in a nutshell. You ever doubted what God tells you to do something? Because what he says in verses 36 through 40, he says, listen, God, I know you've called me to do this, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put down a fleece. How many of you ever heard that? You're going to throw a fleece out. And he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to make the fleece all wet and the ground dry. And so he wakes up the next morning, goes out, and guess what? The fleece is all wet and the ground's all dry. You know, that's when I would say, okay, it's time for me to move forward. But no, that's not what we do. What's he do the next day? He says, he says Lord, don't be mad at me, but I want you to do it again, but I want you to do exactly the opposite. I want me to throw the fleece out, and I want the fleece to be dry, and I want the grass to be wet. Because I want to make sure this is what you want me to do. And this is the guy that he chose to be the, the guy that was going to ki kill the uh, Milikites. He's going to do this. He's going to send him out and he's going to do this. And so he goes out the next day and sure enough, he goes out and that fleece is bone dry, but the grass is wet. You would think that'd be enough. But that's not everything that he does. He also tells him before this that he's got to do something. I want you to turn to this and you'll see this in verse, verses um, 20, 24 through 27. He tells him to go knock down an idol. 
And so he's, he's, he's trying to prep, and as we go through this, he's trying to prep, pep, pep him up and get him going where he needs to go. And so Gideon goes, okay, I'll go do it, but there's a, there's a thing that he does in this. Read this real quick. And it says in verse number 24 through 27, it tells the story, but verse number 27, it says, And then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was because he feared his father's household and all the men of the city. And he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. Doesn't this tell you a little bit about his character? God tells him to do something, Brother Shoup, and he goes, okay, I'll do it, but I'll do it at night because I don't want to get caught. You see Gideon, as you, as you search this out, what did God see in him? I don't know. But God definitely used him. Here he's scared to death. He goes at night. Then he throws the, after this, he throws the, after he's already done this, then he throws the fleece out, throws it out a second night. Then I love this statement. In, in Judges chapter 6, we're working our way back. Judges chapter 6, verse 13 through 16, it says at the very end, it says, And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. As one man. He's saying it's going to take one man, and you're the man. Has God ever asked you to do something? What does God see when he sees you? Has God ever asked you to do something? I shared this with our Sunday school class. And um, sometimes God tells you to talk to people. Does he not? We had a man working at our house. Denver, Denver would know the guy, the, the older gentleman that, that dug this trench out here and fixed that. I saw him yesterday at a, at a restaurant. And just to hear him talk with, talk with me, I, I noticed him. He didn't know who I was. So I walked up to him. I said, I'm Pastor Bible Baptist Church. You did some work at our... Yeah, okay, okay, I know who you are. And before I could leave, he said one thing to me. He goes, I got to tell you a story, preacher. And I said, what is it? He said, you know that man you talked to? He's my worker. He said, I said, yes, sir, I, I do know who you're talking about. He said, I don't know what you said to him, but I'm telling you something right now. He's a different man. I was like, what are you talking about? I just told him, I shared my testimony with him, asked him about his testimony. He had told, and, and, and I told this with our Sunday school class. When you talk to somebody, they'll tell you their whole story. And he shared his whole story with me. He said, I want you to know, preacher, that last week that man was in church with his kids. He'd never been in church in a long time. His kids had tried to get him to go to church. He wouldn't go to church. His wife and him are, are reconciled or back together. And he said he, he surrendered his life back to the Lord. I want to tell you something. God can do wonderful things if we just talk about God. And here, here, here's the story. He says, listen, it's just one man. Now watch this. And if you don't think God has a sense of humor... Here it is. I want you to see where God's sense of humor is. Go to, go to verse number 12 in the same verse. He's, the angel's talking to Gideon, and he says this. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, Gideon, and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Now, wait a minute. This is a guy that goes at night because he's scared. Then he goes and he puts the fleece out once. It's not good enough. He goes again. Then he gets 32,000 men down to 10,000 men down to 300 men. He goes out and he wins a battle. That's a great aspect of it. But where, did, where was he at when he first saw him? You know when you find out where Gideon is? Let's read this verse, and I want you to see this. The first time he talks about Gideon is found at the very end of verse number 11 in the same chapter. And it says this. It says, And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress. If you've got a pen... I want you to take that pen and underline this statement. Watch. Underline this, and you'll understand it in just a second. 
Gideon threshed wheat by the wine press. Underline that little line. Then it says this, to hide it from the Midianites. When I was studying this, he's scared the first time God brings him to pass. Can I give you a visual example of what Gideon looked like to God? That's what Gideon looked like to God. But God calls him in the next verse a man of value. Watch this. Those words that I just told you underline? He's not even doing it the right way. Picture, if you will, grapes on a, on a side of a slope. You've seen them. You've seen pictures of grape vines on the side of a slope. What they would do, what, did this, what did those words I just told you say? He was threshing by the wine press. He was scared, and God called him a man of value. Later on, God would use him. Do you understand where the wine press is? Now think about it. If you were a person that had a vineyard, and, and vineyards over there, grapes were big, and they would put them in bu buckets, they'd put them in tubs, they'd put them in wagons, and they would put them, bring them to the wine press. If you were logically thinking this, and this is how they did in the biblical times, where would the wine press be on the hill? You're carrying it. Would it be on the top, or would it be on the bottom? It would be logically on the bottom of the hill, okay? And what you would do is you'd carry those things to the bottom of the hill, put the grapes in it, and make the wine, the grape juice, or whatever you're going to make with it. That's the logical thing to do. Where would the threshing floor be? Do you understand what thresh, threshing means? You throw up the, you throw up the seed, you throw the weed up, and the wind blows, what, the chaff away, and you keep the wheat. The threshing floor would always be at the top of the hill. Because why? What do you need to make the threshing work? Wind. Read that again and see where it says where he's at. He's in the wrong place doing the wrong thing. He is threshing wheat at the wine press. He's doing it in the valley. So, what he's doing, everything he's doing is not even working. He's throwing this up. He's scared to death. Of him. He's throwing this stuff up and he's wanting wheat to come out. And it's not going anywhere. It's not working because there's no wind there for him. He was scared. This man was scared to death. Look what it says in that verse. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the wine press. Look at the next three words. To hide it from the Midianites. It's all right to be scared. But when God tells you to do it, and He calls you the one man or the one lady to do this, you better do it. Doesn't matter how scared you are. You say, well, you're a preacher. You've got to talk to people about the Lord. Do I? I can go many days without talking to people about the Lord. So can you. And it's scary. But just talking to somebody can move them and let them understand who, who God really is in their life. You might be that one person that people need. Read the rest of this story later on and find out what the other people that didn't fight the battle, what they said to him. Why didn't you tell us you were doing this? 
God calls him a man of valor. He's scared to death. He's doing the wrong thing at the wrong place, not getting any results. And he's hiding so no one can see him. And God looks at him and says, hey, listen, you're a man of value. We're going to use you like you would never even think of it. I'm going to give you 32,000 men. And you know what, Gideon? You're going to say, wow, I got 32,000 men. And you know you're going to make one statement to him and say, if you're scared, go home in 10,000. And it's interesting. He asked them if he's scared. And he was scared to begin with. If I was him, I'd be going, I'm going home. Anybody want to go with me? You're on your own. Then he has 10,000. We took a survey in here, and out of this group, only one said they would lap it in the, in the water. Man, I'm telling you, we serve a great God. Because later on, this man, we don't know a lot about him. We do know that he did what God wanted him to do. And there's times that everyone in this room feels like this. You don't, want to, you don't want to do what God wants you to do. But God uses that one person. Hebrews chapter 11, you don't need to turn to it. But in the same verse that this man that's threshing wheat at the wine press, wrong location, not getting anything done, scared to death that he's going to die, is in the same verse that a man by the name of David is and a man that by the name of Samuel is, and other people are mentioned in that verse. Don't tell me one person can't change the world. Don't tell me you can't change somebody else's world. Good or bad, you can change somebody's world. And as I was studying this Gideon, you just, you just realize, we have a golden opportunity in America. We live in a great country. We have freedoms. Just read a story in a news agency about Christians in China. I also read an article about Christians in Korea, North Korea. I wanted to put all my Bibles out that I have. I have probably 75 Bibles. And they would die for one of them. They would die for a page of them. There's a, there's a, a, a certain church in North Korea that they meet on the water so they can disperse any, any direction they need to. And they come and they share pages of the Bible with each other. Pages. Not the whole Bible. Pages. And they're ecstatic when they get that one page. And you know what they do? They memorize that one page. And then they'll meet again at an un un unknown time. They'll figure out when they're going to meet. And they'll meet and they'll switch pages. And they'll take that page and they'll memorize that page. And in America, how many of you have more than one Bible? Raise your hand. How many of you have more than five Bibles? Raise your hand. Keep your hands up. Ten. 15. I mean, I have tons of Bibles in my possession. And yet, I don't do what I need to do, and I'm scared to death. And so are you. But God can work through that fear and make you who you need to be. I don't understand everything, but I know what God sees when He sees me. What does God see when He sees you? Gideon fought one of the best battles in the Bible. He did. If you were to tell me what the biggest battles in the Bible were, I would think this would be one of the top five. I think Joshua and Jericho would be one. 
And I know this is not an army, but I think David and Goliath, because he was fighting Philistines against the, the Jewish people, that's another big battle. There's many battles in the Bible, but I think this is one that most people know. And when you look at him the first time you see him, he's hiding behind a wine press, threshing wheat that will never even work because he's scared of where he's at. And God looks at him and he looks at us when we don't want to do what we need to do. And he looks at us, he says, you know what? You're a man of value. He was just encouraging Gideon all the step through. And look at the step after step. You got to go do this. He did it and he did it at night. You got to go do this with the, with the fleece. And he did it another night. Look at what it says and we'll end with this. Look at what it says when he does the fleece. Gideon knew who he was. I know who I am. I, I hope you know who you are, but let's look at the fleece really quick. Go to, go to Judges chapter 6 and we'll be done. Verses 36 through 40. Look at verse number 39. He'd already done it one time. Now watch this. And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece, let it now be dry only upon the fleece and upon all the ground let there be dew. Look at him. He says, listen, I, I, I don't want you to be mad at me. But I just need to know. Can I tell you, I don't know what you're going through. But sometimes you just need to know God's there. And last time I checked, there's a verse that says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Even when you're fighting against people and all you got's a, a lantern and a trumpet. And I wonder what those 300 men thought when they saw this fight. And they probably thought, I can follow Gideon, I can follow Gideon. Because they didn't know what Gideon, his conversation with God was. And Gideon's got to pull it together and say, it's going to be okay. And in, inside, he is scared to death. But the end result, what happens? There's no way they could say that God wasn't in this. Can I tell you something? In your life, when you have struggles and you have troubles in your life, and sometimes you feel all alone and you're scared to death. And you ask God, hey, can you do this fleece? Can you do another fleece? Can you do another fleece? Can you do another fleece? And we don't understand everything. We do know one thing, that God's always with us. And for that, I'm thankful. He's mentioned in the chapter of faith with many greats. And the first time that God saw him, if I were to ask you what kind of person is God using when he uses you, when he used Gideon, he was scared God can use you and God can use them. God can use us. But we've got to let God choose to use us. Are you willing to let God choose to use you? With every head bowed and every eye closed. When people see you, what do they see? When God asks you to do something, what do you do? Sometimes I do it on my own terms. Sometimes you do it on your own terms. But what kind of person is God using when he uses you? If we really just go back and realize that we're just, God doesn't need us, but he still uses us. And we all have our different things that we can give to the Lord. Some of you, I could get up here and say, why don't you, why don't you give your testimony? Some of you say, yeah, I give my testimony. Others would say, I can't give my testimony. I can't get up in front of people. Others, I would say, why don't you sing a song? And they'd say, okay, I'll sing a song. Others would say, I never want to sing a song in front of somebody. And there's nothing wrong with being scared. There is nothing wrong with being scared. People say, well, I'm never scared of anything. They're lying to you. I know some of the, the mightiest people that I know. I know some of the best Christians I know. They get scared. 
And sometimes we, in our, in our world, we're, behind, we're down by that, by that wine press and, we're, and we're, we're doing the wrong things and we know what our enemy is and we don't know how it's going to work out and we just sit there and go, I have no idea. And God puts his arm around and say, listen, you're a man of value. You're going to be okay. You move forward and you do this. And then, then we do things our own way and we're still doing what God wants, but we're doing our own way. And, and then we put the fleece out and then we have all these things that we think, man, it's going to be a great thing. And then God brings you back to realize that you're just somebody that he wants to use. And we're really nothing. Aren't you thankful that he's everything and we're nothing? That's why Paul writes, I die daily. There's nothing wrong to be scared. Just move forward when he tells you to move forward.